When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hump day! Welcome everybody, welcome back to another episode and thank you for joining me for Wednesday Hump Day's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host James Murphy aka Murph and what a pleasure it is to have you listening on the show, on the podcast. It is greatly appreciated that you downloaded, that you're listening and that you're going to be enjoying this episode and all the other episodes that are before this one and the ones that are after this one. So I greatly appreciate you for tuning in and we have a lot to talk about today in reference to just about everything under the sun in terms of the Bruins, the Red Sox, a little bit of Patriots news. I'll touch briefly upon the Celtics, although I'm very disappointed with their performance uh, Monday against the Bulls, but nonetheless we still have to talk about it. Hopefully you had a great couple days to start the week as we are officially at the midway point, hence it being hump day. And hopefully your work week, your school week, whatever, your vacation week for that matter, is all going very, very well. And hopefully this podcast can kind of either help you get through it, entertain you through it, or simply just be some background noise if that's what you wish. Either way, like I said, it's awesome that you're here with me. And I also want to mention that if you're doing anything, buying anything on Amazon, please check out my affiliate links down in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on audio-only platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google, whatever it may be, I will definitely have my links out on Twitter. I will have them out on Facebook. Reach out to me. I can send them your way because to no extra charge to you by you clicking my links, even if you don't buy anything that's on there. So say you don't want to buy a new microphone or a new boom arm. That's okay. As long as you click on my link to access Amazon Anything you buy within 24 hours, a small percentage of whatever the total cost is will come back to me, the show, the channel, to no extra charge to you. So it's a win-win all the way around. You're still going to be going on Amazon to buy whatever you need to buy, but why not use my link to help get you there so you can help me out as well. So that would be really appreciative if you can use my Amazon link to access Amazon and hey if you do want to buy anything that I have linked down there let me know if you do it'd be really awesome to see those using my links to acquire and purchase items that I have linked wherever it is whether it's down below on YouTube Facebook Twitter like I said reach out to me via social media direct message whatever and I can get you any link that you need so using Amazon through me would be greatly appreciated but let's get to the sports which I know you're all here for And before I touch upon the Boston sports, which is obviously Murph's Boston sports talk, I do have to poke fun at the most hated rival in all of Boston sports. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe the Lakers would kind of argue that, but the New York Yankees. I'm not going to spend too much time about it, but I have to. Although they won yesterday against the Braves 3-1, they lost 1-2-3-4 five games in a row and are currently 6 and 10 on the year tied for the worst record in the American League. Uh let me check the National League. Uh no, there's a couple teams out there that are worse. But anyways, they are five games out of first place. Like I said, they're 6 and 10 and my goodness, are they awful? <laughs> they are so awful this year and I honestly don't know what it is because usually it's an injury bug or the pitching staff will just, you know, be absolutely wretched for them. But this year, I mean, I, every team runs into injuries, but they're relatively healthy and they're just straight sucking. 
They're straight sucking on all fronts of the game, hitting, pitching, fielding, uh, mentality for even that matter. The locker room seems like it's being shaken up. I hear some rumors that people want Aaron Boone fired from the dugout. And, you know, I'm not too much big. You know, I don't, I don't know too much about, you know, the inside and outs of the Yankees, nor should I, obviously. But do people really want Aaron Boone to be fired from the Yankees dugout and not be their manager anymore? I know a lot of people love the guy. I mean, I hate to bring it back, but the dude hit a walk-off home run to send the Yankees to the World Series back in 03, and I apologize if I, uh, if I uh, kind of gave you a little PTSD there. But, I mean, that's a fact, and people were excited when he was going to be their manager. Well, I don't even know how many years ago, however long it was ago, five years ago or so. So it's very interesting to see that kind of twist and turn in the uh, New York area or the New York fan base because people, at least I thought, loved the guy. At least I thought, oh, what did I click? I thought, you know, the Yankees were going to be good this year just as much as everyone else did, and it was a surprise to see the Red Sox being so good again. And it would have been nice to have the Yankees be good as well, but I guess we can't all get what we want, and the Yankees are going to suck this year. As of now, things could obviously change as we get further and further into the season, but we're just going to have to wait and see about that. So if we want a good Red Sox-Yankees rivalry this year, we're going to have to have one team step up their end of the bargain. But that's my quick little New York Yankee minute. I kind of want to touch upon it because they do suck, and they are awful, and hopefully they suck all year long because they need a little taste of what it feels like because the Red Sox went through it last year. They were very, very mediocre in 2019. And then obviously you saw them in 2012 and like 2014. It's just disgusting how bad that a team can actually do. And they really haven't felt that in a long, long time. So I think they're well overdue for a sub-500 year. But like I said, that's my quick little Yankee uh, minute right there. Let's move on to the Red Sox. And good game last night. They beat the uh, Toronto Blue Jays 4-2 to at Fenway Park last night. It was a really good game. Uh, felt like the uh, Blue Jays got off to a good start. Obviously, they went up one nothing in the fourth inning and kind of thought that's how it was going to be. But the Red Sox were able to respond really quickly in the bottom of the fourth inning, their half of the inning, and they were really able to kind of take charge and get control of the game. Although the Blue Jays scored another run later on in the seventh inning, that was all the scoring for the Red Sox, but that's all the scoring that they were going to need. A couple side notes from the game that I noticed is Xander Bogarts. He had his first home run of the season, finally. I mean, it was a beautiful ding-dong, and before I go into it, it's about damn time, dude. I mean, obviously, long season, you know, once you get that first one, which could kind of be a little stressful and pressurous, he should be off and running now, but so nice to see him finally hit one out, and that home run uh, was a massive shot, a towering shot to left center field that went over the monster, kind of where uh, that little corner meets that center field wall, it went like right up above that light tower, holy smokes, what a shot, and it was awesome to finally not just see him hit it out, but just to get his first one, so it's now out of the way, because at the beginning of the season, I did project him to have upper 20s, I think. And like I said, long season, so he could get there. But finally getting number one off the board is good to see. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez got the start in this game, and he went six strong innings of work. He only allowed uh, two runs throughout the whole game, and it was the two runs that the Blue Jays got all game he went six and six plus excuse me and like I said he got the only two runs the Blue Jays got all game as we saw Matt Andreese, Adam Ottavino and then Matt Barnes come out of the bullpen all three of them sealed the game pitching in the seventh eighth and ninth innings respectively Matt Andreese, uh I do believe allowed well, he didn't allow because it's not his run but Eduardo Rodriguez came out in the top of the seventh Andreezy came in and then the run scored, which was obviously charged to Erod, but like it doesn't go against Andreezy, but just to put in perspective and to give you the details of the game, Andreezy was on the mound when that second run scored, although it was charged to Erod. Uh, a side note, is the bullpen coming around maybe? I know I was very hard on the pitching staff as a whole and the um, bullpen, but have they come around? Are the Red Sox bullpen something to maybe not take seriously, not yet at least, 
but something to reckon with. Maybe uh, a tool or a weapon for the team. I, I don't know. You know. I could be jumping the gun, but you know, it was very nice to see. I know they gave up four to the White Sox on Monday. They gave up five. Um, and then three runs. They gave up eight runs total in the doubleheader. But overall speaking, could we expect the bullpen to be uh, something good? Because I don't think anybody expected the bullpen to be good, nor did we expect just the pitching staff in general to be good. But I don't know. I, I could be jumping the gun. I could be jumping the gun. But, you know, some consistency from the bullpen has been seen in a few games, and it's been very nice. So I would not put it past the Red Sox to maybe have figured out their bullpen strategy, certain pitchers pitching here, whatever. I mean, I know Phillips Valdez has been pitching nicely, which we didn't really expect, nor did we expect him to make the team out of spring training, but he did anyway. So like I said, that bullpen could be coming along nicely. And if it does, and the bullpen is something to be relied on, well, A, we got to make sure we don't burn it out because we got to make sure our pitching staff goes to proper innings so we're not overloading the bullpen's workload. But, I mean, when if the bullpen is coming along together, then we can kind of, you know, rest a little easier knowing that we have a bullpen to rely on and a bullpen that's going to be able to shut doors and, you know, close out games instead of being on the edge of your seat and be like, oh my goodness, it's a 4-2 to two game, the Blue Jays got some hitters, the bullpen's going to, you know, they're going to blow it for us. Oh, oh no. However, being able to kind of rest easy with the bullpen is definitely going to be something that us Sox fans will be able to rest easy with as we move further and further into the season because we are, uh, let's see, how far are we? We are 18 games into the season. I'd probably wait till like the middle of May, 40, 50 games or so into the season to kind of really get a good general idea of what the pitching staff is going to be like, whether it's going to be good or bad, mediocre maybe in the middle. But around that 40 or so mark, we'll get a really good idea of what the bullpen and the rotation will be throughout the whole season. So not going to jump the gun, but just a little nugget to think about as you watch the, the Red Sox play night in and night out. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. He hit a scorching triple to dead center, uh, dead right center, excuse me, which I, so like where that triangle is, where the 420 mark, the deepest part of the ballpark. So he hit a ball out there. And I don't know about you, but I personally love seeing balls hit to that alley of the park. Literally anything, anything could happen out there, such as a double if the ball is played right, or maybe a slow runner, uh, a triple if the ball takes a couple bounces, like we saw with Dahlback last night. Maybe the center fielder, doesn't play it right and you know the ball like i said just bounces around out there maybe an inside the park home run that we saw with you hit all those years ago for those who remember kevin euclid hit inside the park home run to you know that area of the park the ball can take some weird bounces whether it's off the wall in the corner under the wall where the you know the little padding kind of stops you know it really makes for some interesting plays you know some intriguing baseball right i mean you look at triple triples alley in san francisco you hit a ball out there and it's just gonna roll to the gap there's not really any funny quirky bounces to hit because if you can hit the ball to right center it's just gonna go all the way to the wall and if you have any kind of speed you'll be able to get all the way to third base but see at fenway park and their little alley is you know the center field wall kind of goes out you know at a weird little angle and then the right field wall where the bullpen kind of ends in that corner jettisons out to meet the center field wall. So there's just a little quirkiness out there. And like I said, the ball can take some mysterious bounces, especially with the right fielder coming in over too. I've seen balls hit that went off of that little corner piece from the bullpen that connects that bullpen wall to that center field wall. Hit that in midair, so basically missing a home run by two feet, and then just scooching right out to left center field and then boom the hitter has an inside the park home run i believe that's what happened with euclid all those years ago when he hit his or maybe the ball just goes and you know hits that garage door and just bounces straight back into center field and the right fielder and the center fielder just overran it completely some weird bounces can be taken at that area of the park but i'm digressing it was nice to see bobby Dahlback hit his first career triple Grab an RBI as well in the process. One, The last thing I want to uh, take note of about the Red Sox is that 
the Sox will be back tonight against the Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, with first pitch a little after 11. So keep that in mind. And like I mentioned in last episode, it's a quick little important series for the Red Sox. Like I said, two games against the Blue Jays, and then you got four games against the Seattle Mariners. It's going to be really intriguing to see how legitimate they are as they currently sit at 11-7, and seven, tied with the Oakland Athletics for first place in the American League West division. Are they going to be legit? Maybe it's a test for us to see how legit we are. You know, if they're a real team to be reckoned with this year, which nobody saw coming, maybe we're the frauds. But also, got to make sure you win this game against the Blue Jays to make sure you keep separating yourself within the division from the Rays, the Orioles, the Blue Jays. And if you want to throw the Yankees in, they're fine. <laughs> Although they really suck. But, yep, Blue Jays tonight, 7-10, first pitch. And then over the weekend, um, well, I guess Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have the Seattle Mariners coming into town for a, four, a long, long four-game series. All right. Moving to the Boston Bruins, which a lot of people want me to talk about. And I'm going to talk about them because, holy smokes, are they off and running as of late. So let me get over to the Bruins. Okay, here we go. Um, Boston Bruins last night beat the Buffalo Sabres 2-0 in in game one of three in their little baseball-style series that they have going they extended their winning streak to five games for those that may have lost track. Yes, the Bruins are on a five-game winning streak, and I'll go more into that in a little bit, but I do kind of want to talk about Tuka Rask, who got the start last night, and he shut out the Sabres, although it's the Sabres, and you know, as I'm talking about these points and making my respective points, got to keep that in mind, but nonetheless, it's still good to see the team doing what they're supposed to do against a team that they should beat, right? <laughs> but anyways... Tuka Rask, he looked good and crisp as ever, like I said, getting the shutout. I believe it was 32 saves. Let me double check. 32 shots, 32 sh- saves in the game against the Sabres, which was awesome to see. He looked like he was locked in. And I don't know if Rask just needed a little bit of time on the um, the injured list. But I don't know. His couple games back, he's looked really, really good. So we're just going to have to wait and see about that. And we still have Swayman that... You know, we want to make sure he gets reps, and then Yaroslav Halak will be coming back soon. Me, personally, I don't want Swayman to lose his backup position over Yaroslav Halak because I think Jeremy Swayman is going to be the guy moving forward, but we have to make sure he gets his reps right now to get the pressure, to get feel the shots, and kind of know what it feels like to be on a winning team, in a winning environment, in these pressure games. While we have Tuka Rask still on the team to fall back on, because let's say we don't re-sign Tuka, say we don't re-sign Yaroslav Halak, and we go with Swayman as the guy, and he doesn't perform well next year, well, we're gonna kind of kick ourselves and say, "Damn, we should have brought back Rask, or you know, maybe even Halak, just as a veteran guy." Yikes! But gotta take advantage of the time that you have now with the two goalies, the two veteran goalies, while you have a promising young stud in the wings. Back to the Bruins game last night against the Sabres. I apologize for kind of diverting there. Uh, goals were scored by Marchand, his 24th of the season, and Connor Clifton getting his first goal of the season, accounting for the Bruins' two goals in the first and the second periods. No goals in the third from this game. Although it was against the Sabres, and I'm going to keep mentioning this, uh, being able to take away the Bruins' defense from them is something I cannot do. They played great defense in this game. They looked really, really locked in. Like I said, keep in mind, it's against the Sabres. But still, would you rather see them put up zero, uh, give up zero goals against the Sabres, or would you rather see them give up two, three, four goals against the Sabres, right? So we gotta, you know, we gotta take what we're given with here, and we were given no goals allowed. So I'm gonna talk about it, and it was really good to see the defense click. They looked really good. The rotations looked crisp and clean. The wingers were helping back out on defense, really applying the pressure up front so the Sabres couldn't really get anything going down below. Though they got some good looks, but like I said about Rask, he looked good and crisp as ever, uh, not allowing a single goal. So it was just all one fluid motion and one collective group back on the blue line um, in terms of the defense, the forwards, and Tuka Rask all playing exceptionally well to allow zero 
on the board. Despite it being a must-win, which I do. I think all three of these games are a must-win for the Bruins here in Buffalo. It was actually good to see it come to fruition and to kick off this little series on a great foot, right? I mentioned that you know all three games against this team are a must-win, and they are. But imagine if they lost that game last night, and I have to sit here talking about, oh, the Bruins lost a big one. Two points were crucial and key. Oh, the standings. Oh, they could have used those two points in the standings. Well, like I said, although it's against the Sabres, it's a must-win game as of as are all of these games are must-win games, and it was good to see them capitalize, see them actually execute, and for what I think the Bruins need to do, come to fruition with a win last night. Uh, game two of the series is going to be tomorrow at 7, and game three will follow on Friday at 7 as well before they head out to Pittsburgh for a quick little two-game series in Pittsburgh on Sunday and next Tuesday. Going back to the standings, which I kind of referenced a little earlier, the Bruins currently currently sit at 58 points and are only four points back from first and second place in the division in the East Division. Both the Capitals and the Islanders are tied currently with 62 points. However, the Capitals lead in that category slightly due to the tiebreaker being goals four, hence why I made it such a huge emphasis earlier I guess like a couple weeks ago, I should say, when they only had like 80 or so goals. Uh, it's like, damn, like, ah, you, you know, this isn't good. I mean, the differential is going to catch up to you. And it's going to because the Penguins have 159 goals. Islanders have 133. Capitals have 163 goals. So you're not going to win any tiebreakers there unless you go to the games in hand, which I don't really know the math around that right now. That's why you got to win all these games that you should in order to push yourself forward. Uh, Going back to the standings, I mentioned that the Capitals and the Islanders are both tied at 62 points, being four points ahead of you in the division. The Bruins are only just three points back from third place from the Penguins, who they play two games with uh, early next week, like I mentioned on Sunday and Tuesday. Looking down below, you see the Rangers 52 points back. They're still 6-2-2, two two, but they did lose, so their winning streak is over. And like I mentioned last episode, you can kind of ignore the Flyers being 47 points total and 11 points behind you. But the Rangers, like I said, they're still on fire, although they did lose. But they're still a team that you need to keep in the back of your head because with the limited number of games left, they could make a push themselves. You never, You never know. You never know. And speaking of games, you have currently 44 games played. The Rangers, the Penguins, the Islanders, and the Capitals are all at 46 total games played. So you're going to be playing those extra games against the Flyers and the Devils, it seems like, because they too only sit at 45 games. And it's only a 56-game season. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 12, 58-game season, excuse me. So let's just do the math here real quick. Let's do the math. Everyone else is at 46. Um, Capitals, Islanders, Penguins, Rangers, Sabres are at 46. You are at 44. The Philadelphia Flyers and the New Jersey Devils are both at 45. So those two games that are going to be made up that I've been kind of hypothetically using as you know wins to kind of help the point differential will be played against the Philadelphia Flyers and the New Jersey Devils. And those are going to be must-wins. If you want any shot at doing anything in terms of the standings, in terms of seeding, you're going to have to win those two, hopefully, gimme games because the Devils, they've been way out of it for a long time. They're almost going to be at the bottom of the division soon, losing seven in a row, one and nine in the last ten. And then the Philadelphia Flyers, who were competitive, you know, they were kind of flirting with that fourth seed a little bit, kind of right behind you. But they've fallen off a cliff. So it's going to be you versus the Flyers and Devils to make up those two other games from the other teams. And looking at the schedule ahead, I'm just going to kind of briefly go over the rest of the season because there's only 12 games left. You still got the two against the Sabres that I already mentioned. You got the two in Pittsburgh that I already mentioned on Sunday and Tuesday. Then you welcome the Sabres 
for two games on next Thursday and next Saturday, May 1st. Then you go to New Jersey for two games um, on next, I guess two weeks from now, Monday and Tuesday. So it's going to be a back-to-back there. Then you come back home to play the Rangers for two games. And the Islanders will come in for a game on May 10th. And then your last game of the season is May 11th. So back-to-back game. But it's in Washington against the Capitals. So you got to, after the Penguins, you got a nice little slew of games that, you know, you should be able to win and will help you in terms of points. But those last two games of the season against the Islanders and the Capitals, they're going to be massive games, you know, could determine this the seeding going into the playoffs. It really, really could. Hence why I'm making such a huge emphasis on these games right now. These games that they need to win right now. Games against the Sabres. Be nice to win against the Penguins, but you know you can't really put that in the win column just yet. Then you got another two against the Sabres. Then you got two against the Devils. You got two against the Rangers. All those games should be must-win games because you don't know what you're going to get from the Bruins, and you're not going to know what you're going to get from the Penguins, Islanders, and Capitals when you go to play them respectively. A lot is going on in hockey. I mean, there's not a lot of movement in the standings like you see in the uh, in the NBA's Eastern Conference. But there's a lot of meaningful games right here that are being played. And like I said, you've got 12 left on the season. 24 points are at hand. 16, 17 points maybe? I don't know if that's going to do it for you or not. Because you only got one left against the Islanders. You only got one left against the Capitals. And you only got two left against the Penguins. What what else are they going to do with their remaining uh, games? They only got 10 games left each. That's only 20 points. Like I said, those two extra games are being made up against the Devils and the Rangers. A lot is going to happen, and a lot's going to happen really, really soon. But I did allude to it earlier when I first mentioned the Bruins. They are currently on a five-game winning streak, which is, yes, nice to see. But this, if you want to think back to that 8-1 to blowout loss against the Washington Capitals, that following game, that following win that they had against the Sabres and shootout, sparked this five game winning streak so let's keep it going let's try to you know aim for six seven completing the sweep of the sabers and then we'll kind of reevaluate and revisit things once we go to pittsburgh to play against the penguins but currently as it stands right now during these five games i think the bruins are playing the best hockey we've ever seen them play even when they were the top of the division earlier in the season things weren't really meticulated yet in terms of rotations your roster who's going to be playing, who's going to be healthy scratches, and whatever else may be a factor there. But I do think that this five-game winning streak, they're playing their best hockey. Goaltending, defense, offense, your special teams, whether it's the PK or the um, the attack, it just all looks really good. It looks fluid. It looks like it's molded together really nicely, and it's going to be something to reckon with. Your team will be something to reckon with moving forward for these last 12 games of your regular season. But refer- refer- <laughs> referencing back to that 8-1 to blowout loss against the Capitals, after such a loss, any team could have collapsed and went on a massive losing streak or just a simple losing streak, three games or whatever. Or they could have completely fell apart. Like I mentioned, collapsing. Any That could have happened to any team. Any team, whether it's the Islanders, the Capitals, you, the Penguins whatever but one thing i want to take away is that this team after that loss this team was able to regroup collect themselves and to push forward and get back on track they easily that loss could have been the tipping point in the season where they go three six and one in their next 10 falling out of you know flirting with a top three seed and then the Rangers starting to creep in. Now you're fighting with the Rangers, trying to hold them off. Meanwhile, you're trying to fight back in to get at least a three seed. But nope, nope, nope. They looked at themselves in the mirror. They had a conversation like, this isn't us. We're not going to let this happen. Because one thing for the Bruins that they have over a lot of teams in the NHL is they have an experienced locker room. They have a group of leaders and a group of guys that have been in the league for a long time and they know how to handle these things. Although Zdeno Chara is no longer with the team, you still have leaders like Bergeron, your captain, 
Marshand, your alternate captain. Krejci, your alternate captain. Pasternak, still young, but he's kind of been in the league now. Brandon Carlo, young, but he's been in the league kind of for a little bit. Charlie McAvoy, although he's still young, but people look up to him because he's such a stellar defender. You can even point to Tuka Rask, although however you feel about him, he's been in the league a long time himself. He's seen a lot. He's been through a lot, whether it's good or bad. So this team has leaders on this team to help the younger guys rebound from such a thing. Because if you're a young guy like Dan Vladar, who gave up all eight goals, or you know a young defenseman or forward, and it's like, whoa, just got shaken up from this loss because maybe you got you know toasted on a play, made a bad play to kind of result in a goal, whatever it may be. You had the people in your locker room to help right the ship. Not a lot of teams can say that in the NHL. Although there are teams out there that can say that, like the Capitals and the Penguins. But for you to be able to go on a five-game winning streak right after such a brutal loss is truly admirable and something to be taken very, very seriously because that shows you the will and the determination to win regardless what happened the day before or the game before. Forget about it. Learn from your mistakes. Get back on track. And let's go get the next one because that's all that matters at this point is the next game. Bruins won 2-0 yesterday. Got a nice shutout. Doesn't matter. We'll take the two points. Next game. Sunday against the Capitals. They won 6-3. Nice. But hey, we got a big series against Buffalo coming up. Got to focus on that one. You see the trend that I'm going with here? So it all goes back to those in your locker room. The leadership, the personality, the characters that you have in that locker room really make an impact there and when the Bruins traded for Taylor Hall a lot of people said that he's not a good locker room guy that he's not a good teammate we've heard uh, former hockey players or even current hockey players say that Taylor Hall is one of the worst teammates they've ever played with who obviously not on his team anymore but like that was a concern bringing a type of player like him in and there was the risk there however the reward was the player that he at least was you know a former MVP someone that can put up 20-30 goals Obviously, he's not going to do that this year, but he has that capability, that skill set himself. And if you put him in the locker room that you have in your locker room, you can hope that your guys can kind of help fix and write his mindset. Hey, listen, whatever you did in the past, it is what it is, whatever. But look, we got a legitimate chance at a cup. We need you. You kind of need us, too, if you want to kind of, you know, make your career something again. Let's do this, right? And we saw the same thing when I'm... The Bruins traded for Marcus Johansson a couple years ago during their Stanley Cup run in 2019. I mean, he had a little bit of beef with Brad Marchand from, you know, when they were enemies and when they were rivals. But we brought him in and we're like, listen, whatever happened, happened. But listen, we need you. Let's go. And they ended up making it to the Stanley Cup Finals in Game 7. Hopefully the Bruins can do something very similar. Maybe not lose in Game 7, but maybe get there to the Stanley Cup and win it, right? That'd be the ultimate goal. But nonetheless, you see what I'm trying to say. Losing 8-1 to could be absolutely devastating to a team, but this team was able to say, no, not us. We're going to go on a five-game winning streak. Maybe six, hopefully seven, if they can beat these next two games against the Sabres. But wow, that was a massive Bruins segment, and hopefully I fulfilled your little Bruins need, because like I said, I know a lot of people wanted me to talk about the Bruins, So there it was. I don't know. It was like 20 minutes of me talking about the Bruins. Hopefully that filled your need. And come Friday's episode, I'll be able to talk about the game on Thursday and give you a little sneak peek going into the game against the Sabres on Friday. Speaking of Friday, this past Friday, I did a huge segment about the Patriots and the draft, which you all remember and listen to. Hopefully it was very entertaining for you to either watch or listen depending on the platform you are on but I'm transitioning here to the Patriots because I do want to talk more about the draft and this is going to be a great talking point for the Patriots in the draft because there is a picture that surfaced on the Twitter that came about to be on the tweeter and not exactly sure if it's true or not it could be fabricated It could be fake. You know, I could be talking out of my ass with this one. But it could be real. And if it is, I want to talk about it. And whether it's not, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just something to talk about because it involves 
your New England Patriots. And obviously, if there's any news about the Patriots, I have to talk about it. I have to talk about it, okay? And like I said, we don't know the origin of it, but there is a rumored picture that was taken of a Green Bay Packer employee's desk, right? It was a picture, there was a phone, a computer, a tablet, pen, paper, notebook, all that good stuff. Underneath the notebook or the folder, maybe like one of those little two-in-one things, there's a piece of paper that was sticking out of it. And at first, you can't really tell or see what it is. It just looks like a piece of paper and, you know, a little messy desk, but you're trying to keep it clean, right? We all, we've all been there, whether working virtually or in an, at an office, which seems like forever ago. But if you zoom in on that piece of paper that is sticking out. Now, you may have seen this piece of paper before on Twitter. Or you may have heard about this potential rumor. But on that picture is a proposed trade. Or a possible trade, let me say. A possible trade between the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots. Now, like I said, this picture is supposedly rumored from an office in Green Bay or a Green Bay personnel's office and on that trade on that trade proposal possibility whatever you want to call it it has the new england patriots sending their first round pick 15th overall to green bay now i'm just going to sit here for a second and let you think oh what could they be trading for you know just think to yourself what have i been preaching about basically this whole off season is the Patriots need a quarterback, right? And this was before and after the Patriots re-signed Cam Newton that they need a quarterback. Now the Patriots bring it, they bring back Cam Newton, okay, maybe you draft someone to be behind him, and then you just one more year with Cam, and then you're done. Maybe you go out and make an explosive trade for Aaron Rodgers, which has kind of been, you know, out and about. I don't think it's realistic because it would be a lot of dead money for the Packers and it'd be kind of a a foolish move since they just got to the NFC Championship game. But you know, any possibility is possible, right? When it comes to the draft, I mean, you, you give a team a certain number of first round, second round picks and all that good stuff, and you'll entice somebody. You'll eventually entice them to do something, right? But on this piece of paper, it has you trading your first round pick, 15th overall, to the Packers for their first round pick, 29th overall. And a, what seems like a fourth round pick, which is 142nd overall. And quarterback Jordan Love. Now, like I said, I don't know how real or legit this is. This is supposedly from an office from a Green Bay Packer personnel. Don't know if it's like a scout or, you know, the, uh, the GM, a coach, whatever. But on that trade sheet, it says quarterback Jordan Love, for, uh, round one, 29th overall, round four, 142 overall, which is a compensation pick for them, to the New England Patriots for round one, 15th overall. And I sit here and think, if this is legit. Now, obviously, I have to speculate that this is true and that this will happen. Let's just say. Do we want this trade to happen? Do we as a New England fan base want this trade to be true? To be legit? To even be possible? Do we want to keep 15 and hope that a quarterback maybe falls to us? Maybe Mac Jones, Justin Fields falls to us at 15. Maybe one of the wide receivers falls or, you know, hope Micah Parsons is there. Would we rather go that route and then maybe draft a quarterback in the second round like Kellen Mond? Or should we trade that pick away, move back 14 spots later into the first round, get your guy that you should have drafted last year. I will rant and rave about how pissed I was that the Patriots traded out of their first round pick last year and the Packers moved up and got him. But at least you also get an additional fourth round pick for your troubles, right? But you potentially get your quarterback of the future in Jordan Love. Now, to no fault of his own was he drafted by the Packers, and he was immediately hated on because the year before, the Packers made it to the NFC Championship game playing against the 49ers. They lost. 
A lot of people say that they were one piece away, a wide receiver away, because although Devontae Adams is great and fantastic, a top five wide receiver, if you double him or triple him, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to go to other people. And although, you know, the Packers, they got Alan Lazard, uh, MVS, it's just, they're good, but they're not good enough. And a lot of people were hoping that they would use that pick on maybe a wide receiver in the draft. Or maybe a tight end, whoever. But no, they drafted a quarterback, so the Packer Nation immediately hated Jordan Love. It's no fault of his own. Now, for Jordan Love, he was able to learn and be tutored by Aaron Rodgers. He was in film room, in the quarterback room, studying and learning from him, which is awesome for us because, you know, for the last, for basically the whole decade of 2010, the backup quarterback was able to learn under Tom Brady. Uh, Jared Stidham, then you had Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, though Brian Hoyer was an experienced veteran, but I mean, he was still there for a little bit. So having a quarterback learn from Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, plus you're getting a first round pick still, even though it's 14 picks back. And then you're also going to get a fourth round pick as well. I think this is a win trade for the Patriots. That doesn't mean I want them to do it. Nor does that mean you should want them to do it. Because at the grand scheme of things, you're getting a first-round talented quarterback. You're still getting a first-round pick, so you'll have you know that fifth-year option. And you're getting an additional fourth-round pick that you'll be able to you know kind of maneuver to either move up, move down, whatever you want to do with it. For just your uh, 15th overall pick, which nothing may be there. Nothing may be there. I mean, the five quarterbacks could all be gone. The three wide receivers could be gone, uh, being... Uh, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Jamar Chase. Kyle Pitts is more than likely going to be gone. And Micah Parsons could easily be gone. So what are you going to do? J.C. Jackson just signed his second round tender, so he'll be back for one year. You could draft a cornerback, but they could also be gone too. I mean, there's so many different avenues this this draft could go. So trading that 15th pick is a potential option. Now, I don't want them to do it on draft night. If they have that pick on draft night, just take the player. Take the player. But if this is something that they do now, before the draft, I'm all for it. Because like I said, you're going to get your guy in Jordan Love. You'll get another first-round pick. You'll get an additional fourth-round pick, whatever. It's going to feel like it's going to be much, much more worth it if you make this trade now. Because this trade, if it's real, if it's legit, don't keep in mind, may not be there come draft night. If this is true, if this is legit, if this is actually a real thing... I think the Patriots should take this deal because you can have Jordan Love behind Cam Newton. Hell, you could even have Jordan Love start over Cam Newton because unless Cam Newton can immensely impress during training camp and then, you know, preseason games, I think you should just have Jordan Love the guy. Just do it. You know, if he sucks, then you go with Cam Newton, you reevaluate Jordan Love later in the season, then you have him restart. I mean, we look at quarterbacks around the league. I mean, Kyler Murray, he was good his rookie year. Not great, but he was still really good. You look at Joe Burrow. Although he got injured, he was still pretty good this year. So these quarterbacks take time. I mean, uh, Daniel Jones for the Giants. He sucked his first year when he replaced Eli Manning, but that team sucked in general, the Giants. But nonetheless, it takes time. And now Daniel Jones is somewhat a competent quarterback, let's just say. It, Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a perfect example. I'm just trying to think of quarterbacks. Josh Allen. He sucked his first like two years, but the Bills stuck with him. He got a little uh, stronger. He got a little faster. He can run. He can throw. He's smarter. He's got a receiver now. I really think, and, and now Josh Allen's uh, going back to him. He's an MVP candidate in the league. So you just got to stick with the guy. And Jordan Love has first round talent. He was a really good quarterback at Utah State. He could be something as long as he gets his chance and he sure as hell is not going to get it in green bay because aaron Rodgers still has two years left on his deal but he looks like he is not aging a single bit just like tom brady doesn't look like he's aging a single bit so i now give you this question i now propose you this question let's say that this is true let's say it's legit let's hypothetically say it is accepted and the patriots trade their 15th overall pick for Love 29 and 142. What does that mean for the Patriots in terms of the draft? 
Now, obviously, I would have to reevaluate and do a bunch of more research on what's going to be available at 29th, which I did a little bit here. And obviously, I will do more comparing the news being true. But hypothetically, let's just say it's true. What could we look for with the Patriots at 29th? Now, they obviously filled their quarterback need, so there's no need to get a quarterback in the first, second, whatever round moving forward. Come the end of the first round, you could see uh, Terrence Marshall Jr., the wide receiver from LSU, Jamar Chase's running mate. You could see Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota that I took in one of my mock drafts. You could see him there. I mean, uh, the Kadarius T- uh, Tony from the Florida wide receiver, you know, got balls from uh, Kyle Trask. There's just a lot of options for wide receiver there. And then a non-wide receiver option is Jamin Davis, who was a linebacker that I took a bunch in my mock drafts that I did on Friday's episode. And if you're going to get a wide receiver in the draft, probably wait to to that end of the first round where they kind of start to, um, where that like second tier of wide receivers are because at 15, you're more than likely not going to get a top wide receiver such as Waddle, Chase, or Devontae Smith. But come the end of the first round, you could see, like I said, Bateman, uh, Marshall Jr. There's even, where do you go? Where do you go? Where do you go? Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, who could fall down there. So there's options down there for wide receiver if you want to go that route again. But at 15, if one of those top three wide receivers aren't there, definitely don't do it. But like I said, if you do make this trade and you are at 29, Drafting one of those tier two wide receivers makes a lot more sense for the team, especially with Julian Edelman now retired. You have Nikhil Harry, who we don't even really know who he is yet. You brought in Nelson Aguilar. You brought in Kendrick Bourne. You do have those two great tight ends in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. But still, you still need wide receiver depth. And can we really rely on the new guys that we just brought in? Maybe not yet. Not yet. We gotta wait, obviously, for training camp and let them get acclimated to the system. Meanwhile, bring up a new wide receiver as well, someone that you draft here to kind of learn and get caught up to speed with them as well. Because at the end of the day, I don't think Nikhil Harry is that guy or that wide receiver for the Patriots. I just he's not. I honestly think he's a bust. And as much as I've been holding out on that, I really do. But it's going to be a massive make-or-break camp for him because we could really, really see him get cut. We really could. So that's kind of why I'm really putting the pressure on the Patriots to go for a wide receiver at the end of the first round if this Jordan Love-Green Bay Packer trade is legit. But we're just going to have to wait and see to see if it really is legit or not. And who knows? Like I said, do we as a Patriots fan base want this trade? Do we want to give up 15 to get Jordan Love, 29, and 142, which falls in the fourth round? Me, personally, I want it. I'm down. You know that I'm a big proponent of Jordan Love. You know I love Jordan Love, and I wish the Patriots drafted him last year in last year's draft. But you, let me know, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, DM, something like that, at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk, or if you're watching on YouTube, comment down below. I want to hear your thoughts about this. And my last point that I'm going to mention is about the Boston Celtics. I'm not going to go too much about them because they did lose to the Chicago Bulls 102-96 on Monday at the Garden. It was a gross loss that I'm just simply not going to talk about. Um, with that loss, however, the Celtics do fall back to the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference where they are half a game back from the New York Knicks for the fifth seed and a full game back from the Atlanta Hawks for the fourth seed. The Celtics next game is, let me pull up the Celtics real quick, is tomorrow against the Phoenix Suns in Boston where tip-off is at 7. Then you got the Nets in Brooklyn on Friday the day after. Couple big games for the Celtics. You know, I kind of mentioned, you know, on Monday's episode, are the Celtics legit? Can we take them seriously? I said yes, and I probably should have waited until after those two games, the games against the Sun and the Nets, respectively, to fully make that claim, statement, prediction, whatever. Because, you know, this loss against the Bulls looks really freaking ugly. It does. And if they're going to lose against the Bulls like that, then 
they're not legit and they're not serious because they're not going to be able to beat the Suns nor the Nets. But that's all I'm going to talk about the Celtics because I don't want to talk about them because of how wretched that game was and they should have won that easily. We'll hopefully be able to talk more about the Celtics come Friday's episode with hopefully a nice little win against the Phoenix Suns on Thursday. Fingers crossed there. But thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And hopefully all of the information, all of the content, details, analysis, whatever we discussed in today's episode was enjoyed and that you liked it. I tried to really focus on about the Bruins and this Patriots news because the Bruins, huge part of their season coming up. Patriots, the draft is right around the corner, which you know I'm going to be talking more and more and more about the draft as we get closer. Celtics. And then the Red Sox. The Red Sox are really surprising a lot of people right now with how well they're playing. Hopefully they can keep it up. Big game against the Mariners over the weekend, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. Must win game against the Blue Jays tonight. But that's going to do it for Wednesday's, or I mean hump day's edition of Merce Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining, and hopefully I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, I love you. See ya. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.